um, join us this Sunday, 3 to 5 in San Francisco, and we're gathering also in Santa Rosa and Vallejo. We're leaving those locations at 1. Um, if you have other questions or information, please feel free to contact me as well. Uh, and I can provide my phone number if you're, you're comfortable with that over the Go right ahead. Very quickly. Very quickly. Uh, 707-294-5005. Area code 707-294-5005. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stay safe. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for the time. Uh, appreciate it. Sure. And uh, guess what? That does wrap it up for another edition of Flashpoints, your daily investigative news magazine. Stay tuned. And that wraps it up for another episode of Flashpoints. Our executive producer is Dennis Bernstein. Senior producers are Miguel Gavilan Molina and Kevin Pina. Technical director is Mike Biggs. Special thanks to producer and engineer Rada Keel. For previous episodes, go to kpfa.org or flashpoints.net. For questions or comments, email dennis at kpfa.org. Thank you for listening. Support for the Dirt Bag and KBOO Community Radio comes from our members and from One Green World, a family-owned and operated nursery off Southeast Foster on 134th Avenue in Portland, providing a selection of fruiting trees, vines, shrubs, and vegetables and supplies. More information is available at onegreenworld.com. The following program is a special Encore rebroadcast for these unique pandemic times. Dates, times, and events mentioned in the following program have already occurred and are no longer relevant. Thank you for tuning in to KBOO Portland. Well, good morning. This is Glenn Andreessen here beside you now with Jim Gilbert across from me. Six feet away, at least. <laughs> and our recording engineer, Joe Wilson of Bergman Productions, he's also six feet away. And we are recording this dirt bag a couple of days before the, the playing of it on Wednesday, November 11th. And several days after, a president-elect has been... Yay! <laughs> And as you might expect, some of our, actually all of the, the musical selections today deal with the with that. It's so exciting to be here with you, Glenn and Joel, because we've done this show re- remotely for way, way too long. At least we're together. Yeah. Sadly, we can't be with our listeners, but we're right. together, so it's just wonderful. And furthermore, I should say that we are not recording this at the KBOO studios, but, but elsewhere. Yeah. Just because they... Uh, haven't opened up yet. Well, thank we you. We're at, we're actually, one, we're at One Green World, and they've wanted, uh, That's right. graciously offered the use of their house here at the, at the nursery to allow us to make this recording. Very kind of them to do so. And kind for Joe to be here, and with all of his equipment to make it sound as good as Jim and I can sound. <laughs> you know, right there, that's right off the bat, that reminds me of what has been annoying me this month. Actually, it's been annoying me for some time. But I have noticed this, and I am no expert on grammar at all. And we've talked about this in the past, and many of you have heard what's, what annoys me has to do with, with, with grammar. And I could have said, and this is what many, what I hear a lot these days, is when I said, uh, Jim and I are doing this, uh, many people would say, Jim and myself are doing this. Joe gives me the thumb up. He says, yes, he's hearing that too. And that would not be grammatically correct. Now, the experts or the, the pundits would say grammar evolves. But, and, and certainly, there's a lot of words that are in our lexicon now that weren't. 
and that now are, and they're just accepted. But still, that's what annoys me. <laughs> so generally, you would use myself when you're when you're referring to yourself, but you've already used I in the sentence. So I cut myself, for example. I myself am annoyed by the use of myself instead of I. <laughs> yeah, something of that nature. Then, but anyway, you, you know, maybe it's we're gonna we're going to be looking here on which email you can use to pose your questions to us. And once we get that email straightened out, we will also get back to the garden stumper and the and the prize. And, and, and since we're talking about such things for just a moment, I'd like to to mention. Um, there's nothing related to plants, of course, but I would like all of the web designers out there uh, to darken up their type in their copy on their websites because uh, my eyes aren't so great, and I suspect other people probably struggle to try to read them. With a nice faint type is maybe stylish, uh -huh. but it's, uh, uh -huh. it's not useful and doesn't get the message through. Which is a big part of the reason for having websites, that you get a message across. That's right. Yeah, and if you can't read it, yep, you failed. All right. Well, there's, you know, we sound like a bunch of grumpy old men here. That's, that's right. That's right. Let's go on to something more fun. Okay, <laughs> gardening in the cold. Oh, yes. Well, okay, that's not so fun. But anyway, let's let me give you a rundown of our show today. We've got uh, rather than our regular plant of the month, <laughs> uh, this could be a good one. This is plants to avoid mm. forever. Not just for the month. No, not forever. <laughs> you just have to take special precautions on these because you'll, if you don't, you'll pay a price. So uh, that will be coming up here uh, just in a, in a few seconds. We'll also talk about what we've been doing in the garden and what you can be doing in the garden because there's still time. You know, here it is just uh, early November. So plenty of tasks that can be done. And there's still things being harvested. In fact, Jim brought... What'd you bring for us to sample? I brought pers persimmons and pineapple guava or feijoa. Okay, both of those that we will be snacking on. Mm -hmm. Remember when uh, Tammy, we used to have a little snack test. Tammy would come in, our engineer. Oh yes, and right. And we would have our taste them, and mm, boy, those are good. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But now we have Joe. That's and right. Joe's going to sample along with us too. <laughs> And then let's see, speaking of uh, persimmon, Jim has been doing a lot of work with persimmon now and also flowering quince. So we'll spend some time there. And also we have uh, some from news from Home Orchard Society. And yes. We'll put it there. So first of all, what plants that you, to, to plant with precaution, let's put it that way, rather than avoiding. I've just been dealing with mint in a garden bed, a two-buck garden bed that's come through the fence into my property. And I, I've just been battling it for years. And I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to get rid of all of it other than just keep pulling and keep pulling. But it just spreads underground, so you can't really see where it's going. And Jim, do you have any ideas on best way to, to take care of it? I have mint growing behind my house that was left to me by the previous owners this 30-some years ago. And, uh, you know, I just, <laughs> it's a, a pain. I, pay, I prune it, I prune it, I prune it. My hands, it's not a real nice mint either. There's different yeah. kinds. And this one doesn't uh -huh. even smell particularly good. I mean, if it was like something, you know, maybe like aftershave, maybe I could handle <laughs> it. But this is like sort of stinks. And I got to keep pruning it. So Well, uh, this is peppermint, I think. And we use it culinarily. But it's, it's just insidious, and you know, it's taken over a big area, and I spent a lot of time digging down into the dirt and pulling up the roots of it, and we'll see. Yeah, yeah if you can find something, you know, if you've got some way of putting a barrier around it, you could do something like cut the bottom out of a, of a plastic pot, a large plastic pot, and put it in the ground, and then plant the mint in the pot, and let it, you know where it can't escape. So you don't think that it would go through the bottom and then out? If it's deep enough, it won't. No, I mean, if you had a like I say a five-gallon pot, I'm sure it won't go down below that's that. that. Okay, yeah, because when I notice these roots, they're pretty, you know, they're within six, yeah, eight inches of the surface. But it's kind of nice soil too, and. You know, I, so it's there's a, no reason to go down. Yeah, it's lower. a shallow-rooted plant, from my experience. So. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, that's the kind of the uh, probably what we should use for all of these plants that we're going to mention. A couple of other uh, uh, edible plants that we talked about this morning was the uh, O'Current mm -hmm. that uh, they'll send runners out and they're tough, tough to pull up. Mint's relatively easy that I've found, but current uh, roots are a little more fibrous, we'll say. They don't send out nearly as much, but still I've been dealing with it. And the other, apparently Seaberry has a, can have some spreading issues too. Another plant that I've, that, that will grow into the middle of a lawn is the triple crown blackberry. Hmm. That's been my experience. I mean, it'll come up in the middle of a lawn. Well, I've had it come up uh, probably 10 feet away, just in the lawn. Hmm. And of course, the lawnmower, you know, gets it every time. Right. And so then it doesn't, you know, get big. But, uh, and I would not plant, the only one that I would not plant that we've talked about is mint. Yeah. I'd say just keep it in a pot and don't, you know, just keep it on your deck or wherever. Well, another one that uh, I'll mention here maybe as we figure or close up this segment is Alstroemeria or Peruvian lily. And, and not all of the shades are this way. I've grown the pink Peruvian lily that's behaved itself for at least two decades. Just a small patch underneath a plum tree. And, oh, maybe 15 years ago was at a plant exchange. Oh, don't get me started on that. I Somebody had some yellow. I thought, well, that'd be a nice addition. And planted it, and it's it, it, if I had, had let it, it would have taken over not only the pink, but other, I mean, spread beyond the bed. So, you know, plant exchanges are things to be, to be very careful of <laughs> in that, because people don't give away plants that are hard to propagate yeah. or that don't propagate on their own. Because, yeah. So, just by its very nature. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting thinking about this, Glenn, is that how... Uh, some a plant in one area might be a weed in another area it might be of benefit and that comes to mind is passiflora incarnata also known as maypop uh, i'm a not familiar a beautiful with that, perennial think. passion flower that we can grow oh, here yeah, in yeah. the northwest quite hardy bears fruit a uh, really nice plant for us it's a wonderful plant if you live in florida it's a weed uh -huh. And so you also need to know your region and what and, uh, yeah. you know what, what what can happen there well, these are things to keep in mind then, dear listeners, when you're planning your garden for next year. And we can, we'll get to talk about things that don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's all we've talked about, isn't it, this, this, this uh, show? That's right. Right. Well, anyway, I, I guess it's time to move on. We'll move on to our first uh, music selection here. And this all has to do with the election and, and, and in fact, how uh, we didn't know right away. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so the first selection is from World Party. I've played some World Party in the past. In fact, they're the ones that sing our theme song for the Garden Stumper. Don't know who, don't know why, don't know what. Oh, cool. uh, yeah, that's world, world Party. But anyway, this particular song is called Waiting Such a Long, Long Time, which is, of course, what we did.
This is a coordinated monthly test of the emergency alert system through broadcast stations in the greater Portland, Vancouver area, including Clackamas, Columbia, Multnomah, and Washington counties in Oregon, and Clark County in Washington. With the cooperation of public safety broadcasters and cable operators, this system informs you of events that pose an immediate threat to your life, health, or property. If this had been an actual emergency, official information would have followed the alert tone. This test was originated by Clackamas County in Oregon. This concludes this test message. Particularly in New Zealand, by that name, uh, is is probably one of the most beautiful evergreen shrubs that we can grow here in Oregon, and we're we're really lucky that we can grow this plant because it it is it's, it has striking flowers, uh, which have edible petals, by the way, sweet edible petals, and then the fruit is just uh, knocks your socks off. I think it's wonderful fruit, and it and it ripens here. I mean, some places, you know, we're kind of on the northern edge for fruits like this, and some varieties don't ripen here, but we have some really good ones that do. And I, I think that uh, this this plant, well, I've been growing it for many years, but I, uh, it should be grown in every yard. Uh, it's easy to grow. There's no pest problems. Uh, it's drought resistant. Uh, just a, a really, really nice plant. Yeah. It, it, is it uh, deciduous? No, evergreen. Yeah, so that's another, I mean, you could grow it in place of a lot of things. Yeah, I you have know, rhododendrons even. Get rid of your rhodes and put, hey, that's you not could a bad idea ev- for me too. Ever, an evergreen edible shrub, you know, right. uh, a whole bunch of, uh, you could do a hedge of them. Could, does it does it take well to shearing? Yeah. Like a, uh-huh. for a hedge? You can do it like a hedge. Yeah. Just to keep yeah. it contained. Like some sun. I mean, it doesn't, li- it doesn't want to grow in shade, so uh-huh, you want to uh-huh, put it in a place uh-huh. where you get some reasonable amount of sun. Um, but it really is, a, like I said, it's very easy to grow. You know, and uh, we've been doing it for a long, long time. Yeah. We got our first pineapple guavas from New Zealand probably ni- 1983. And they're mm. still alive and are growing and fruiting in our yard. Hmm. And, they, and they'll get, oh, you know, if you, let it, if you don't prune them, they can get up to 10 feet tall. But it takes yeah. a long time to get there. And pruning is easy to do and can keep them down to six feet or less. Yeah. Huh. But really, okay. a really good plant, a really nice plant. And uh, and we have some new varieties that, that we're, we will be introducing probably uh, through One Green World and other nurseries here pretty soon. This coming year, even. Well, one of the uh, has become became clear to me this year is that there's a lot of fruits that you know from July, August, September, you know, and even October. But you know, there are fewer fruits now, mm-hmm. you know, for the next couple of months. And right. so anything that you can do. I've been eating the some uh, uh, Fuji apples mm, that mm-hmm. are. I don't think they're still perfectly, or they're still not ripe on this tree that I've been getting them from. Mm-hmm. And mm. so it's just a good time to have apples because all the other ones that I grow are done and have been done. But right, you know, having a late producer yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah. We have one called Gold Rush that we've grown for a number of years. That's really good late apple. That's still late. Yeah. Okay. About. I should also mention about pineapple guava. I like to use actually use the word feijoa because we're probably going to try to use that more often. It's okay. It's, it's say it slowly. Feijoa. 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 F e i j o a. Joa. Joa. The Latin name of pineapple guava is Aca celoiana, but it used to be feijoa. Oh, celoiana. It got changed by people smarter than me, and. Uh, but the New Zealanders call it feijoa, and it's and so and also in Brazil where it's native. And that, okay. And, and we went to Brazil in 2015 to go visit pineapple guavas in their native range, and it's interesting because their climate is harder on the plant than ours is. Uh huh. And they have a lot more. They have more pest problems, more disease problems. It's a, it's a humid climate. Uh, here they grow the 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 feijoa grows happier than it does in Brazil. Feijoa. And New Zealand is the word they've done the most work with it there, and everybody in New Zealand knows this plant and fruit. I mean, you in the mm. in the uh, fall markets are just full of it. And here, we used to be able to get it. Uh, they grew it in California to some degree, but uh, back uh-huh. in the '80s. But now, very you don't find it in markets at all. Huh. Okay, feijoa, feijoa, also known 
as pineapple guava. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Formerly known as pineapple right. guava. Right. right. Okay. Well, then let's move on to some of the tasks that we've been doing in, in our gardens or that you could do in your gardens too. Any, Jim, you've been doing well clean up and planting and yeah this is the time of year to do to do cleanup and and we have done we are doing planting too and and a wonderful thing about western oregon is that we can plant in in washington the northwest we can plant just about any time of year and fall planting has a lot of benefits to it uh if it's plants that can handle a winter i mean you wouldn't plant something like your oranges out in the ground right, right now or anything but uh, you never would plant they've got to be hardy yeah yeah they gotta be hardy but if you if you plant in the fall the plant it gets a chance to build a root system before spring and uh will will we'll go more vigorously and and take off faster than uh than if you plant in the spring so if you can get the plants uh this is a good time to put them in the ground well i've i don't think i've ever done this before but uh not once again not an edible plant but with my dahlias i am, am dug oftentimes i dig them well maybe half the time i dig some and so i can split them and plant them elsewhere but most of the time i just leave them in the ground i unless we have a very very cold winter they'll survive and it's not to, to me it's not worth the hassle to to dig them and to store them without the uh without the date and, and there's not much chance that you, that they're going to to die mm-hmm. in the ground so it's just a lot easier to leave them there but mm-hmm. anyway i did pick uh, divide some dig some and divide them uh, one particular variety called poo and it was a big clump in it and it filled uh, a five gallon bucket i mean oh. there's that much in one clump wow. and so i i saved those to to plant elsewhere mm-hmm. and then replanted one of that variety and i did that about a half a dozen times so i'm hoping that like you said jim that the weather will be decent enough the ground is still warm enough and the the rain it's not going to rot that tuber Mm -hmm. yeah sure well and and before i move on uh to what you wanted to say jim uh, one more thing on the dahlias and, and the reason that i wanted to dig now is because i wanted i'm going to need several dozen or uh, you know three or four dozen dahlias to, to plant a big garden bed i like growing dahlias they're great for bees in the the late winter and or excuse mm-hmm. me the late fall mm-hmm. well early fall too and so i have just needed some but i've been stymied not stymied just disappointed that i spend so much time staking and tying up these dahlias because they get tall and they flop over so i did some research just yesterday and found that Lo and behold, I'm not the only one that's had this problem, but uh, somebody else has already solved this problem, and apparently it's very common. It's a a product called, uh, what's it called, Hortonova? Are you familiar with that, Jim? No. It's a a plastic material, kind of like temporary fencing, if you will, of the orange, but it's very small, you know, string size. But it's maybe six-inch squares that you would mount maybe two levels one at i don't know 15 inches and another at three feet and with these with these six inch squares the 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 flower stalks can grow through them of course and then it's and then they're protected because it's just a six inch square so you're 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 making you, you stake the this this uh floral uh netting if you will on posts you know maybe T posts or, or uh, angle posts or whatever could be wood posts staple it very light material and it's relatively inexpensive you can get 300 feet for 50 bucks hmm. it's four inch wide or, or uh, excuse me four feet wide or six feet wide so you know I look forward to trying that and having a bed of, of dahlias that just don't <laughs> don't fall over, over. right <laughs> So you put it. Oh, you put this over the pl- the bed, over the plants, or well, you, or along yeah, the side? on top of it, on top, on top. Yeah, so Got they it. grow up through. Got it. it. It would be like having cattle fencing or yeah. some other type of fencing, sure. but horizontal yeah. at a at a you know at the a fifteen inch level and a, and a forty inches or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in just whatever you however tall you're. That's interesting because my my dahlias look good and good, and then we had this big wind and rain. You know, they half of them fall over. 
Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I try tying them up ahead of time, and but it just takes a lot of time. So, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm going to try this next. Yeah. I was going to mention, Glenn, another uh, thing to be thinking about this time of year, and I probably mention this every year that, we do, that we've done the show, uh, is cold weather and plants in pots. Uh, yeah. I think uh, it's really important to recognize that when you have a plant sitting in a pot on a deck, for example, uh, the air temperature around it can get so cold that it could freeze the roots, which is pretty dangerous for most plants. Mm-hmm. So uh, if, if, you have a, if you have a plant in that situation, it's probably you know, one way to at least keep it fairly well protected is put it on soil. So the natural heat from the ground will come up into the pot and, and it will protect somewhat. If it gets super, super cold, then surrounding the plant with an old sleeping bag or some kind of insulating material would be important. You could also add straw, uh, making sure that the straw is as weed-free as possible. Uh, you, you don't want to be putting in straw that has a reservoir of seeds because you'll just have a green carpet then <laughs> at that point. So generally what I recommend is just leaving a bale of straw out for any four months of the year in the weather. And if there's any seeds in it, they'll germinate and you'll know ahead of time. Something to be, uh, that, I, that I've, I, I don't like to be worried about things, but I, a couple of years ago or several years ago, I learned about a bad herbicide that's used in some of the fields where they grow uh, uh, mm-hmm. grass seed and where they harvest straw. And I can't remember the name of it, but it's a persistent herbicide. In fact, they, I think they were even feeding it to horses. This is why they were feeding the straw to horses and it wouldn't break down in the horse's gut. And when right. and, and, you, and there was actual danger of using it yeah, in your garden. Yeah, that chlora, chlora something. Now, I, maybe I'll, I'll see if I can find out. Yeah, and there was the another. Show. There was another run of that this year. Really, I know that because Ted at the Coley Farm Store uh, had some soil issues, soil that he bought. Let's talk about uh, our dirtbag dictionary term here about what we mean by fixing nitrogen. And then we'll take our second musical break in our journey in the last week of electing a new president. In that, generally, we would plant the way that we can mostly fix nitrogen for our home gardens is to plant a cover crop that is a legume, which does this, what we call fixes nitrogen. And it's a pretty simple concept in that the, I'll start, very simply by saying that, well, why why do we need nitrogen in the soil if close to 80% of the air that we are breathing right now is nitrogen? Duh, can't they? <laughs> right. There's a lot of nitrogen there. Why don't they use it? They'll grab it out of the air. Yeah, right. You know, what's wrong with you plants? Yeah. Well, the nitrogen in the air is a, in a, a nitrogen in a form that the plants can't use. So they need help of, so to speak, converting this nitrogen, the N2, just elemental nitrogen, into uh, many of the forms of nitrogen that plants can use. So NH3 and NH4, you know, ammonia, nitrates, nitrites, these are all forms of nitrogen that plants can take up. In fact, the the man-made fertilizer is, what they do is they take a natural gas or petroleum and convert it with heat and other chemicals into nitrogen or urea that uh, the plant can use. It's in the nitrogen is now in a form that you can use. But what if you're a organic gardener and you don't want to use synthetic fertilizers? Well, your best and, and it's really cheap bet and way to get nitrogen in the soil is to plant a legume which with the help of certain bacteria that grow around the roots in the soil, of course, can convert this elemental nitrogen into these other forms of nitrogen that plants can use. So when you pull up a plant, for example, crimson clover or any of the vetches or fava beans, you pull up and look at the roots, you'll see these little nodules on the roots which are those nitrogen nodules that have in fact been fixed so to speak there by these certain bacteria that work in conjunction with them. Yep. 
Now there's other plants that will fix nitrogen. For example, alder trees. That's a nitrogen fixing plant, but you'd be advised strongly not to plant alder <laughs> trees in your garden <laughs> to get nitrogen. And, and there's others too that I can't recall right now. Well, seaberry fixes nitrogen. Okay. You know, it's not a cover crop, but it does, yeah. it does improve the soil, which is pretty neat. Right. And, and with most of these, and I don't know about seaberry, but I would, I would hazard a guess that even though they fix nitrogen, they can't use that nitrogen themselves. Yeah, it and has to be sloughed off, you know, into the soil when the plant dies or something like that. Right. The roots die and it releases some. They don't really need nitrogen. I mean, seaberry is uh -huh. very happy without. You, know, you say it grows in sand, so it's, it's a good point. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take so anyway, that, that's a pretty simple concept. When it's, when we say fixing nitrogen, it means that it's just adding right. nitrogen to the soil. And once again, it's too late to plant those cover crops this year, but this is something for you to ponder then, oh, I need to get involved with that for in time for next year. It, it really, we did a soil test uh, a year ago and we discovered that some of our fields didn't have enough organic matter in them. We just were not to what we wanted. And so we've, we're making, right now we're in a, in a big program of planting cover crop uh, uh -huh. in, in both you know winter and summer. And so what our latest cover crop is actually triticale, which is a, a cross of rye and wheat uh, mixed with vetch. Uh huh. And you can and rye and vetch is another really good cover crop for the winter because uh, the vetch will grow up onto the rye, hold it oh, up, oh yeah, fine, and then you get all that organic matter from the rye, which grows very vigorously. So it's a you know for if you've got the room to do it, I, I just highly recommend that uh, as a winter cover crop. Yeah, too late this year, sadly. Well, for, yeah, for the you know for just a regular garden bed. You know, there's there's lots of options. Yeah. But uh, the ones that are nitrogen fixers, and that's most of them, but not the biggest one is probably rye, and it's not, uh, a, excuse me, the biggest or the most uh, used maybe is, is rye. Okay, well, let's move on now to our musical uh, journey. We've got uh, Brian Auger's uh, uh, production, or... Uh, Recording of a uh, Gene McDaniel song, very uh, well known compared to what, and he's talking about the the president uh, in this case here, but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, it, 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 it's just a good song. Uh, once again, kind of old too, but this is from Brian Auger's uh, Oblivion Express from the early '70s, but still still true, and the and the out. The album is called Closer to It. So I was picking these songs as he was getting closer to winning. So great. Take a listen.
is Brian Auger's rendition of Compared to What? Hang it up. The gosh darn nation. <laughs> That's not what he says. Hmm. Okay. Well, this is the Dirtbag, Glenn Andreessen here with Jim Gilbert and our recording engineer, Jim, excuse me, Joe Wilson, Bergman Productions. Is that out of, uh, you're in Milwaukee? Tiger. Excuse me. And we are recording this a couple of days before its uh, scheduled air date at the One Green World World Headquarters <laughs> here right. in Southeast yeah. Portland. Graciously allowed us to do it here. Yep. Well, Jim, you've been working with, uh, this is the, you talked about the leaves going off the persimmon, but you've also been uh, working with flowering quince. Yeah. And this time of year. We've had, we've got a couple really, well, three really interesting projects that we've done this year, this fall, late fall. First, the persimmon. Uh, we already talked about pineapple guava or feijoa, but I'll, there's a little more to that too. But for the persimmon, we, we like with feijoa and some other fruits, we're sort of on the northern edge of where these things grow successfully. Persimmons typically grow in, in 35 degree latitude areas in south and all over Asia and places that are quite warm and uh, warm evenings. And as many of us know, uh, here in Oregon, the northwestern, the western side of Oregon, we have nice summer days, but our evenings are typically cool. At our place, to, it can get down to 50 degrees Fahrenheit at night. It's not uncommon during In the, the summer. summer. Yeah, yeah. So ripening of things, so you have to have early ripening varieties of persimmon, for example, to be successful. So we've been experimenting with these for years, and I, persimmon is one of my favorite, very favorite fruits because it's, I think it's the most beautiful fruiting tree that you can plant. Personally, I mean, it's a, because it has yes. so many neat attributes. Fall color is, is outstanding, except uh, for this year. Except for this year at our place. Uh, the tree is not too big. Uh, when, after the leaves fall, the, the bright orange fruit hangs on for a long time uh, in the late fall. It's, uh, it, it's just a striking sight and, and a really, really nice, easy-to-grow tree here. So in our efforts to find new varieties that will ripen here successfully, we've planted out, well, I imagine maybe 50 or 60 varieties from all over the world, which we brought in the, hmm. over many years. And this year we did uh, our first major evaluation of a lot of them. Uh, we've, I could show you a photograph. I took one of, our, of a table, two tables that my partner Lorraine set up with all of these different varieties out on the table. Well, just, just you know. uh, Jim, send that to me and I'll put it on the website. Okay, sure. I'd love to do it. But do it today because I'm going to... Okay, when I get home, get the blurb going. Sure. So it's it was so it was really fun, and we tasted. Um, come as as many people probably know, there are two kinds of persimmons, basic kinds. One that you can eat firm like an apple, and the other has to be soft. <coughs> and we call them sweet firm and sweet soft. Uh -huh. and, uh, the other name for it is astringent and non-astringent, which I don't like those names anymore. So sweet firm ones are like the fuyu types. And you can you, but that's one we we have here for sampling. Uh, it you can eat it firm, like like I say, like an apple. Uh, it's sweet, um, nice, a nice fruit, very very attractive, and all. The and, the and and it in appearance, it's a little, it's flatter. It's flatter typically. Right. Okay. Yes. And this is a good way for you when you're out, walking around your neighborhoods. Right. Because you'll start noticing orange persimmon now yeah and oftentimes birds in the tree yeah you'll notice the, the birds will notice it too and yes. <laughs> hopefully you'll notice before the birds do but you know, normally the birds don't like the firm ones because they, they want them when they're soft and so they they wait for a while typically so at any rate we have the sweet firm and the sweet soft and and we we've sampled a bunch of the sweet firm ones and uh, that was exciting and interesting and now we are sampling the sweet soft ones uh, discovering a couple of new varieties that we that we just hadn't uh, had before, and again the criteria, the main criteria is ripening. I mean they've got to ripen here in this climate, yeah. and our place is a good test spot for it. So if we can do it, you can do it. That's I'm speaking to all of our wonderful listeners on the west side of the Cascades. The Asian persimmon is not super hardy, so you you on the east side would be more challenging. It's hardy to about zero degrees Fahrenheit. So, so that was our, that's our big persimmon story right now is all this evaluation we're doing and testing of these new varieties. 
the uh, I mentioned about we talked about feijoa and pineapple guava and what we were doing with it is sort of the same thing. We have a lot of varieties that we've brought in from New Zealand over the years. Uh, we're pretty excited about them, and some of these new ones that we just sampled here to one we sampled here today is very, very large, very uh, unusual uh, compared to what's been available over the past several years, past many years. So that's that's been fun, and we're still working on that. We have a bunch of seedlings of of uh, feijoa from Brazil that we're testing and are eliminating the ones that aren't good. It's a big sort of pretty good sized mm -hmm. breeding project, probably about a thousand plus mm -hmm. plants that we're testing. And then we uh, uh, we have a, a, it's an interesting fruit, um, flowering quince, Japanese flowering quince, anomalies is somehow what it's called. It's it's a it's like it's I guess it's like a quince in the fact that it's pretty firm and you can't just eat it off the plant which is discouraging to some folks. But Japanese flowering quince is a shrub, not a tree. And mm. um, the fruit is smaller, about baseball size, or maybe even smaller than that. But it has a wonderful flavor uh, once you, if you process it. So what... Different what, than a typical it's, quince? It's different than a typical quince. Yeah. Is it the same family? Not really. Okay. No. I mean, it's a rosaceae, but it's not... Uh, okay. It's not related directly to quince, like the one that we... The common yellow quince. Mm -hmm. So, um, so what we learned about in some, and one thing about traveling overseas is you get all sorts of ideas that, you know, you can do things differently. So they get probably ideas from us, we get them from them. Mm -hmm. And Korea has been one of the countries that we've spent a lot of time in. Uh, we have a good friend there who takes us around to things. And one of the things that we discovered was a factory where they were making syrup from this flowering mm -hmm. quince. And so we started doing it at home. Yeah, and uh, so what I've done over the past couple of days is take the ripe fruit, for the, which are ripe now, I cut them up into into quarters, I take out the seeds, and then I chop them up a little smaller, and I fill a gallon jar with these cut-up quince segments and sugar, and I do it by weight. So I weigh out the quince, and I weigh out the sugar, and I mix it all up together in a big bowl and put it in a gallon jar, put the gallon jar in the refrigerator. What happens is over time, the sugar pulls the juice out of the quince, out of the fruit, and makes a sweet syrup, which is just wonderful. It, it is so good. Uh, I can't even tell you how good it is. And you can take, and then what we do with that syrup is we put a little bit in a jar, I mean, not a jar, in a glass, add some San, uh, San Pellegrino mineral water or something, this carbonated mineral uh -huh. water, and you've, got, and you've got like, I guess you'd call it an Italian soda or something, but it's, it's just great. I mean, well, it, what's no, what's the weight ratio? I mean, what's the ratio? When you make, one to one, or when when you're making it in the, yeah, when you're making in, the syrup, yes, yeah, it's one, one to one, one weight. Okay. So you, huh. we 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 put the same amount of sugar by weight as we put in as of the fruit into the jar, which is not unusual when you're making syrups or jams. Sometimes yeah. jam is even. I more I think sugar. there's a potential business here for somebody. <laughs> I I wish I had the time to do it because there's some other fruits that we've done this with too. Well, not, but this no. is just the flowering quince. Flowering what quince. about regular quince? Well, I experimented with that this year. I have not done it before. So mm -hmm. I will be able to give you a report possibly as early as next month about how it works with regular quince. So you leave it for several months? Uh, it takes about a month. As I in my best recollection of this, I'm going to have to go. I'm not, I'm, this year I'm going to be paying a lot more attention to how long it does take to do it. Um, we, we also did it with schizandra. Uh, which is another wonderful fruit that that we can grow here in the northwest. Uh, Shazandra? Magnolia vine, another oh, name for okay, it. okay, okay. They do that in Korea as well. And I might have mentioned on a previous show about going to a, a, a Shazandra festival in Korea uh, last year in September. Uh, the Korean name is Omija. And if there's any Koreans listening who know that name, it's a. It, I like that name better than yeah. ma than Magnolia Vine Omija. Anyway, they have a they have an Omija festival in Korea huh. in September, and what they do at the festival, the growers of Omija bring these two gallon plastic jugs, uh, full of fruit, and sugar, and they sell the fruit before it's made into syrup. And then you take it home and let it sit and it turns into this just outrageous syrup. Huh. Well, does it taste anything like quince jelly or, I mean, regular quince? 
Um, I mean, jelly, if you've had that. Yeah. Because I've never had quince syrup, but I've had quince regular. Yeah. You know, well, it's, it's, it, I, would, I would say it's, there's maybe a bit of lemon to it, a sweet lemon-like flavor. Mm. Uh, mm. Uh, hard to describe, really. I'll try. I'll bring, I will definitely yeah, so bring some. some. Taste them, we, yeah. we, will, we will taste syrup. Oh, I like sweet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and, you know, when you mix it with the mineral water, it's, it makes such a wonderfully tasty soda that it, it's not like, you know, Pepsi Cola or something. I mean, it's really good for you and tastes great and it's refreshing. And um, hmm. I can't recommend it. And enough. what color are the, the flowering quince fruit? Uh, they're kind of pale green or greenish right. yellow. Um, they're they're not as bright yellow like a regular quince, but there's some there there's a sort of light uh, yellow would be a, and there's some varieties we've grown for years. One call I remember in particular Victory is one, we brought that from Europe many many years ago, but um, mm. the, it it this is something I think has some potential. It, yeah, the main the the main the main thing that's possibly you know negative about it is you have to process it. You can't just take it off the plant and eat it, but the uh, the syrup is so it's good. All right. Same kind of with rhubarb. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that. Yeah. Right? I mean, even regular quince is pretty hard to eat straight off the plant, you know. But <laughs> unless you're John Saltbite, <laughs> <laughs> and there's the, you know those Russian ones that that you know, have sweeter fruit, but still, yeah, you know, not not like an apple. Well, before we run out of time, you mentioned that you had three experiments going. Did you talk about all of those? Well, for persimmon, feijoa, and um, oh, okay. the flowering quince. And, all right. And, and we could add regular quince as a fourth, but it's not as extensive a, a, a yeah. process. You have that being doing. processed right now. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Well, we'll put that on our list for next month. Yes. So yeah. maybe we'll talk about that and whatever chemical it was that... Uh, yeah, the herbicide that right. we, we want to watch out for. Yeah. Well, we, we, we have just uh, uh, less than two minutes left, but we, we do want to talk about the future if there is one, of the Home Orchard Society. We, if you're a member of Home Orchard Society, you may have gotten a letter or two in the, in the past several months uh, with a request for more board members with the possible consequence of the, of the organization not being able to function without a full complement. It's a very sad situation. Uh, the Home Orchard Society has been around for a lot of years. 76, I, I believe. Yeah, it's... Uh, 40 plus years yeah. and founded by some really uh, awesome people who uh, you know wanted to share their knowledge and their experiences of growing fruit here in our region and uh, unfortunately uh, as with other things that happened you know those people have passed on uh, the, uh, uh, the the organization expanded quite a lot I think it probably got uh, too big in a sense because uh, for uh, now that there's not so many people involved it's hard to c carry on the the spring propagation fair is a very, very big, yeah. big event. Uh, the all about fruit show in the fall. Those are wonderful events and, and great for people to learn about growing fruit and, and to be able to propagate their own. And I, I can't talk enough about yeah, I've, how I've estimated that I've learned about 80% of what I know about fruit growing from the Home Orchard Society and the people that are related. Right. Yeah. So, it's, it, so. The, the, I, I don't know. Is it, we don't know that it's a done deal, but, you know, the request was for more volunteers essentially be on the board yeah I, I you know I, I'm afraid that it may be a done deal but uh, you know of course it's it, I, as I understand the final uh, the final time the fi the ending date for the organizations the first of the year so I, I, I if, if there are some folks out there who are members and wanted to contact uh, Joni Cooper the president I think that or you know the organization I think that would you know might possibly uh, sway them a bit I'd love to see an organization where you know, at least keep, at least continue to function to some degree. I think it could do do less in its doing and still be a very useful yeah. resource for everybody. So, well, maybe we'll try to get more guests on the dirt bag. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. All right. Well, that's it for November. So we hope so. Yeah. Well, it's been great to be in person uh, to record a show. We've, we've done other live recordings, but we've been at our respective computers. And, and, and <laughs> Joe has great software that allows us to, to do it, fortunately, but there's nothing like the, the real McCoy in person. Mm -hmm. So, Joe, thank you very much. Joe had a brush with death. 
we say this, I say this somewhat flippantly, but it's true. Just uh, within the last week, we, we had to postpone our recording because he needed emergency care so he could, oh, I don't know, breathe. He was going. It wasn't. The, it wasn't the virus. It was a, a, a right. It's kind of unknown at this point. Some kind of allergy that, or allergen, maybe that triggered it. But uh, we're very happy that Joe recovered here. quickly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Whatever they did there, you know, use the big pen. It's emergency tracheotomy. I, actually, I don't think they do that. But he, he said in an email that the doc said, you know, if he was a half an hour later, he may have suffocated because of anaphylaxis shock anaphylaxis epinephrine. epinephrine that's what they gave him right yeah pens yeah so, so uh, all, all of you out there be careful there's uh, <laughs> <laughs> things can happen and uh, you know most of course is the virus but then something like this you yeah, know yeah. which you never even expect uh, but we'll, hopefully we'll give you an update uh, next month when he after he gets all the tests just for find out so one more thing here I, I forgot to say we'll go out with our last tune here summing up our our last week of political events an instrumental from ronnie earl and the broadcasts broadcasters this is just called happy jim thank you joe thank you this is glenn andreessen i'm sure we'll be back next month thanks for listening be well Coming up next is Jazz Lives, right after these news headlines. Bienvenidos a un breve informativo en su estación comunitaria KBOO 90.7 FM. <música> 